everyone. Hello. Welcome to Thursday. I would call out all your names, but I don't want to forget anybody. So <laughs> hello, everyone. Hi. Hi, Nora. Hey, Mary Hare. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Living the dream, Mary Hare. Living the dream. Hey, same dream. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> well, no, it's a good dream. Yeah, yeah most of the time good. it is. You're right. <clears throat> Well, we're going to start in about two or three minutes. People are still coming in, so. Oh. <laughs> there we go. I see some St. Bartians there. Bartians. <laughs> Bartians is better. I like that. I like Bartians. Yes. Okay. Sure. Good evening, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Conversations with Our Priest. I'm Nora, and tonight we have the Reverend. M. Edwin Beckham, Beckman of Church of the Good Shepherd in Covington and the Reverend Donna Mote of the Chaplaincy Innovation Lab. The topic tonight is reimagining policing and public safety through cultivating relationships with law enforcement. Donna is the coordinator for the initiative in reimagining policing and public safety at the Absalom Jones Episcopal Center for Racial Healing. She serves as missioner for engagement and innovation in the Diocese of Atlanta serving on the bishop's staff to consult on, coach, strategize, support, promote, and provoke innovations in ministry in Middle and North Georgia. With Bishop Robert Wright, she has authored the Go Guide, 10 Steps for Innovations in Ministry from Luke 10, which is available in both English and Spanish. She is chaplain, a captain in the Georgia State Defense Force and chaplain to the 76th Support Brigade. Donna earned degrees from Shorter College, Southern Seminary, and Emory University's Graduate Division of Religion, and completed Anglican Studies at Sewanee, the University of the South. She was raised up for ordination by the Parish of St. Bartholomew's in Atlanta, and is an associate of the Order of St. Helena. A seventh-generation native of Henry County, Georgia, Donna grew up in the Elliott community outside McDonough. Her very first memory is of going to meet her grandmother as she arrived at Atlanta. Edwin has served, served as the self-professed sheepdog to the flock at Good Shepherd since 2013. Edwin first served at Emmanuel in Athens for four and a half years after ordination. After growing up in Greenville, South Carolina, he's been an in and out of the metro Atlanta area since his last two years at Tech. And he said that I could say it was in the 80s. <laughs> He was living in Roswell with his wife, Laura, and sons working in software training when the family uprooted for his Master of Divinity studies at the Seminary of the Southwest. Edwin seeks beautiful, sacrament-focused worship, inspiration from the ancient church, and spiritual practices that help us grow in faith and holiness. Pilgrimage is the lens as we are always on a journey. Edwin loves music across all genres. Almost anything is good live, he says. 
He also believes that you two played a part in his reconversion to Christianity as a young adult. The spiritual and even devotional quality of their shows and catalog continues to impress him. Edwin enjoys getting outdoors to hike along rivers and ridges and dreams of more canoeing and getting back to tennis. His biggest fan is his Cavalier King Charles Spaniel, Nigel. I want to welcome everyone tonight and let you know that there is quite an extensive list of resources and links that we have put on our website for you to access. If you have any questions, please put them in the chat box or wait until um, the end of the conversations. Actually, we are going to have a longer question and answer period as this is quite an intense and extensive topic. So we will probably start questions and answers around 20 till seven instead of quarter till. Donna, Edwin, thank you so much for being here today. We really appreciate it. And I believe Edwin, you are going to start us with an opening prayer, is that correct? That's right, that's right. Thanks for having us, Nora. Thanks for being willing to have me back. This is um, <laughs> my second chance and um, maybe, I'll be, maybe I'll be more behave, well behaved this time. Let's pray everyone. <clears throat> oh God, our heavenly father, you have blessed us and given us dominion over all the earth. Increase our reverence before the mystery of life and give us new insight into your purposes for the human race and new wisdom and determination in making provision for its future in accordance with your will. Through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. 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 Thanks, Edwin, and thank you, Nora, for having us. Our pleasure. It's, ex it's exciting to uh, to get to uh, be in conversation with Edwin. Always, we have lots of good chats. So, uh, Amen. we're gonna have a we're gonna have a public chat today. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, I thought I would start by um, telling you how we came to this topic. It's it reflects a part of my journey during Corona Tide. Um, so in the wake of the murder of George, George, George Floyd and then that of Richard Brooks, when our attention was riveted to racial injustice and inequities in a way that I think is unprecedented, at least in the last few decades, I was really concerned about what, what's my part, right? What is, what is life asking of me? And while I was sitting in that space, I got a call from Catherine Meeks. And I don't know if y'all have ever gotten a call from Catherine Meeks, but when Catherine calls me, <laughs> I always answer because there's usually some, some important message I'm about to receive. And so Catherine uh, had a chat with me about what was going on and how I thought we should respond. And she said, do you have any practice? Well, she, she called to ask me if I'd be a part of a group she was convening through the Absalom Jones Center to start thinking about reimagining policing and public safety and what would that look like through the lens of the work of our Center for Racial Healing. And um, in that conversation, she said, do you have, um, do you have any practical concrete steps you think we might take in response to this? And I, I heard myself say, I do, 
I think we should form a community chaplaincy network across Georgia. And we should advocate for community members and for law enforcement officers. And, you know, so just all, I, I don't have a problem generating ideas as a rule. And so this is my grand idea and it is a grand idea and it might still be a good idea that we should take up across our diocese and across the diocese of Georgia as well to form a community chaplaincy network. But uh, in collaboration with some chaplaincy colleagues, one of whom is on this Zoom tonight, hey Barbara Pendergrass, um, it was, it became clear to me in conversation with them that such a chaplaincy network would be a very important cause, but it would be a, a plant of very slow growth. And so I had to scale back. And where I scaled back to was, well, the foundation of all of this is building uh, relationships and connecting in new ways and sometimes across differences that we draw back from. And so in conversation with Dr. Meeks, we have reoriented ourselves and decided that the place to start is by trying to harness the power of congregations, which are already embedded in communities, and invite them into new kinds of relationships with law enforcement entities and departments who are also embedded already in communities and start from there. And we didn't have to start it from scratch because there are already other people in our state and across our country trying to do the same work. And Edwin and I are gonna talk about um, one of those in particular as we go forward. So this is how we've come from this grand dream to something that's actually specific and concrete that we actually can engage starting now. So that's a little background. And I asked Edwin to be my partner in this conversation because he's one of the priests of our diocese who's already taking these specific concrete actions in his own community. So Edwin, uh, would you just you me? talk to us a little bit about what you've been up to and with respect yeah. to uh, cultivating these relationships? Well, I'll, let me jump right in with the, the main primary example that I have to offer. And, and then maybe there are a couple of secondary examples that have kind of come to me in, in talking to you about this, realize other connections with law enforcement that may, may be the kind of things that were, that you're, that you described starting with at a low level with building relationships. Um, but the big uh, shiny thing that, that happened in a, I'm, I'm being facetious here. Uh, and it may have been you, Donna, who reached out to me about this. Uh, but I, I think I also got a letter from the sheriff. Uh, that went out to every church in the county. You have some hundred something churches probably um, about something called the National Faith in Blue Weekend. Uh, and this was last September timeframe. And I think your call and that letter were nearly simultaneous. They were pretty, pretty close. And I, when I, but I had seen the letter first and the, the letter um, from the sheriff basically was sort of a generic thing to a boilerplate text to invite churches to, um, to go to this, this website called the National Faith in Blue Weekend and, and see, what, see what the activities are, were there and the events and see what all of which were sort of, most of which were, had been tuned to be virtual and um, see how churches might want to interact and, and uh, really sort of try to build relationship with law enforcement 
on this particular day. Um, I don't know much about the background of the of the this national effort, Donna, and you may be able to say more to that. Can you say that now? To... Or you want to talk about what you did on that weekend? Um, go ahead, actually, that'll be good. So National Faith in Blue weekend, uh, the inaugural one was October of 2020. And the organizers of it are the staff of an Atlanta founded organization. I always have to stop and make sure I get the order right. They are called Movement Forward. Mm. Uh, I always have to stop because I almost always want to say forward movement, right? right. Which we know in the Episcopal Church. But right. movementforward.org, they were founded in Atlanta in 2015. And their vision is to, their, their um, premier initiative is called One Cop, which one capital C, capital O, capital P, which stands for One Congregation, One Precinct. And they had been planning for two years, y'all, for this Faith and Blue weekend as a, a way to get more people aware of their work and what was going on. And then they had to take everything, as Edwin said, basically convert all of these, you know, picnics and softball games and all these fun community events that people were starting to plan into virtual events. And lots of them were canceled. But even so, in over 40 states, there were several hundred events that happened over the course of that weekend. And um, they asked me to be on a working group to talk about things that the Diocese of Atlanta could do. And I said, well, actually, Diocese of Atlanta and Diocese of Georgia are trying to get going on some of these things together. And I said, well, we have this thing. So this, this is a weekend in October, right? It's the weekend of um, Indigenous Peoples Day. And I said, so that's the 12th uh, through the 11th through the 14th. And on October 4th, we have a feast day for St. Francis. And so we Episcopalians bless animals. What if a bunch of Episcopalians went out and blessed a bunch of canine units and mounted patrol units? Because we already know how to bless animals. And they were like, great idea. Do whatever you want. So Edwin is one of the people I called. And he can take it from there. Oh. Well, it was, it was really one of those, it was kind of Holy Spirit stuff because I, I had seen the sheriff's letter and thought there's no way I have time to, in, in the short time available to organize something and, and set something up. And of course, you know, it's in a situation like that, it's easy to kind of cop out, not to, to coin a phrase. And, um, and Donna calls with this idea about pet blessings and blessing canine units and mounted uh, police units. Gosh, I think, no, we don't have any horses here, Donna. Um, but I mentioned it to my wife and um, as well, and she thought, oh yeah, heck, we, heck yeah, we can do that. Um, so I called the sheriff's office, uh, got a hold of the um, media person, and she got back to me very quickly. I probably emailed her first, and I was surprised to get a quick email back saying, yeah, this sounds, we would be interested in this. So my wife and I, uh, we made an appointment, I think on a like a Saturday morning or something right there on the, that weekend. And my wife and I went out to the sheriff's office, drove over to the sheriff's office, left our dog at home. <laughs> Good idea. Um, my big fan is down here sitting at my feet. And uh, met, uh, what, two or three K-9 officers, um, the public information officer, uh, 
and uh, and two dogs. The sheriff, of course, showed up. And I should have mentioned before, it helped in all this that the sheriff knew me. He knew who I was. Um, working in a place like Covington for eight years, you meet the, you meet the sheriff over time as, as a priest in Covington. It's that kind of place where um, you're called on to pray at the city council meeting a couple of times to you go to this event and that event, even funerals, uh, even you, you run into the sheriff. And I actually had somebody in the wake of that said, you know, <laughs> there is this saying about our sheriff that wherever two or three are gathered together, the sheriff will be there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it is a political position, an um, elected position. So that all, that's all to say. We had a lovely uh, hour that morning uh, gathering over there and greeting uh, these canine officers and their dogs, telling them about St. Francis and about what a pet blessing was, which is that and alone was fun. I had, for our own pet, pet blessing of the church, I had um, bought some medals to go on the dog's collars, little St. Francis medals, and was able to hand those over um, to them. And um, we had a lovely little time. Let me show you some pictures very quickly. Okay, so there's, uh, there's Tom Tom with his <laughs> handler. And we got to learn about the history of the dogs, of course. And uh, Tom Tom has a, has a um, career going back to military service and then Department of Homeland Security service and this kind of thing. And now I'm looking for the way to go to the next, there it is, to the next picture. And what was the other dog's name? Gosh, I'm drawing a blank now. Uh -huh. um, this, this is a sweet, sweet dog here as well. And you see these guys and all their gear. Oh, video, yeah. Preaching for the animals. Okay. This is me telling them about St. Francis. Now and forever. And Tom Tom getting his blessing. <laughs> all right Sweet. so that was uh a couple of hours uh and a few emails and phone calls to effort in october and um was a lovely a lovely way i think to um let let our law enforcement officers know that we knew we knew them you know we knew uh it's like i i see you i know what you, that you're doing important work um that uh, you're an important part of our community, and we want to be um, we want to be in relationship with you, and uh, even and you know try to look after your your sweet animals who are part of your coworkers. So, and yeah. just to just to make clear, we we know there are no easy answers or quick fixes. Um, everybody, including law enforcement officers, agrees that change is indicated, serious, substantial change. And as people who are part of the Episcopal branch of the Jesus movement in middle and North Georgia, and friends, if anybody's not an Episcopalian, we, we know that transformation happens in the crucible, in the context of relationship, always. And so as Dr. Meeks has been saying for the last couple of months, if we want these kinds of changes to happen on the ground in local places, why would we expect that law enforcement would be open to hearing our critiques or suggestions if they don't already know that we value them and respect them as human beings? 
right? So we can talk more about that as we as we go on, but that's a that's the reason for breaking it down into the small and specific discrete events and contacts that can happen and letting those build over time. So that weekend was was really fun. I'm going to share my screen now. I got to go and bless the officers, both human and equine, of the Atlanta Mounted Patrol, and that was really fun. Um, so, and they were equally open. They're like, yes, ma'am, we're up for a blessing any day, any time. Mm -hmm. And it was, it was really powerful to see how, how the officers were moved as both they and their, their mounts received a blessing. Um, you know, and, and the, the, the blessing I uh, offered was that, that they would be protected and defended as they work for the common good, right? And we, um, I think that's something we can all get behind. So this is um, Sergeant Shapker, who was kind of my host. He's the, the second officer in command of the Mounted Patrol. These are some very large animals. There's, you're the horse whisperer there. Yes, and they have, <laughs> they have lots of, of stories, and um, many of them have also been in other kinds of service before they began working with the Atlanta Mounted Patrol. Sure. So it was really a, a privilege and a, just a positive set of interactions with these officers, both human and equine, also two cats who um, keep the mice out of the barn. Right. Uh, I did not do a particular cat blessing, I have to say. I, I wasn't. It's I hard, wasn't aware that, that there were felines on staff as well. So anyway, <laughs> this was, um, it was a really good experience and, uh, and not just for me, but, but for them. And they said, we, as Edwin has said, I would echo, they're like, we, we, we never had anybody offer to bless us before. Yeah. So, right. Um, yeah. In a, in a time of great fear and turbulence, everybody's scared and everybody is um, kind of on tender hooks about lots of things. And so, what are the practical things that we can do? We, um, part of what's come to me is that we don't have to try and create something that's outside our wheelhouse so much as we just adapt and modify things that we already, we already know how to bless animals and people. So just to move beyond our particular congregation, expand the congregation, if you will, and reach out to the wider community. Um, so as we said, the point of that weekend was really to draw more attention to the organization that sponsored it, Movement Forward. And we are now in a, in a developing formal partnership with them to, um, to see more Episcopal congregations as people in clergy are willing uh, to enter into those relationships. So that one cop program, one, one congregation, one precinct. And there's, uh, we already have, a pilot congregation who participated, has been participating in that for a couple of years now, actually about three years now, and that's St. Matthew's in Snellville. Oh. And I wanted to tell you this story that Liz Hendrick, the very recently retired rector there, said that she got involved because someone from the Movement Forward staff called her and asked if she would be willing, she and St. Matthew's would be willing to be paired with um, the Snellville Police Department and she took it to the vestry and they agreed and they said yes we'll do that and um, she said may I ask why you asked us mm. and the staff person said 
we looked at lots and lots of church and synagogue and temple, etc. websites in Gwinnett County. And what we saw on St. Matthew's website said to us that this is a congregation that reflects the diversity of the community. And we thought that you all would be open to this pilot project. So that's, um, I thought that was a, a powerful endorsement of the role that St. Matthew's is already playing in their community. Uh, Liz herself was already a chaplain to the Gwinnett County PD, but the congregation of St. Matthew's took on this pairing with the Snellville Police Department. So that's been a really cool thing. And on this weekend, the Faith and Blue weekend, they together with Snellville PD offered a child safety seat check on the campus of St. Matt's in Snellville. So the officers came there and it was a drive-through deal, you know, and, and um, officers just made sure your, the equipment you have is, is you're using it correctly and it's the, it's the right equipment for the size of children you have and so on. Uh, so just a positive interaction to create a different kind of climate. Um, again, this is not to gainsay the fact that lots of changes need to happen, but it's a place to start. Edwin, do you have another story you wanted to share from your uh, your Covington life? Sure. Let me let me um, share a couple of more sort of set what I call secondary stories, but maybe equally as helpful um, in the grand scheme. And maybe this Donna, maybe this could be an entrance into our our um, earlier conversation about chaplaincy and sort of what it is and what it can be, and and and. I think closely allied to that, the idea of a parish in our, in our tradition coming out of the Church of England, a parish as a, not as a set of buildings or a, a membership, but as a geographical entity, right? A wider geographical entity that, that um, we as clergy and as uh, members of the, of the uh, church community of the congregation um, inhabit sort of a, a space and have some some responsibility we feel for a space that's just bigger than our, our campus or, or our, our fellow congregants. Um, when I thought, when Donna asked me to do this, I thought about what other connections besides um, that canine blessing that we did back in October, what other connections have I had with our local um, law enforcement? And aside from running into the sheriff and kind of getting to know him, that way through various uh, short um, hellos and, and introductions at events and things, I realized, oh, I served, um, I've been serving on the Salvation Army Service Center Board here in Covington. We have a Salvation Army store and, um, you know, that they're sort of standard thing that they do in a number of places where you have a store and you have a, a office uh, that does social service work. Excuse me. I realized, oh, I've been serving on the board with uh, one of our top uh, top cops in the city of Covington for four or five years now, and had gotten to know Philip um, through that that monthly meeting and other work we did together on that board, and going and eating fried chicken with him every Christmas at our and, and meeting his wife at our board Christmas uh, party, and it seems pretty simple and straightforward but for me looking back at that and, and especially now as he's resigning because he's now assistant chief of police here 
he's resigned from our board um, because of his lack of lack of bandwidth for other things. I, I think I've come to realize, well, that's that kind of informal um, relationship building that uh, that we have the potential for, whether we are clergy, we are parish leaders, um, congregation leaders, let's say, um, as if we're if we're able to stop and sort of look out instead of being focused on looking inward um, in our congregations, if we can try to look outward, regardless of whether we're clergy or we're vestry members or, or we're none of the above, um, we find that there's this community out there that we um, can be in relationship with. Um, and so I've, uh, I've, I find that um, I feel more a part of this community uh, and I feel closer to um, those leaders in our community, like policemen and the police force, because of that time I spent with with him and that, on that board. Um, and so that comes into play sometimes. And the way the the main way that it that came into me, came into the forefront for me recently was again in the midst of last summer's tension um, around policing and uh, this awful. Um, deaths that we all learned about um, in the course of May, June. Um, I found myself uh, at a Black Lives Matter demonstration on the Covington Square. Uh, interestingly, I didn't see, I saw one retired, retired clergy person there, Presbyterian retired clergy person. I didn't see too many of my other clergy friends from around town. But there I was um, participating with um, others and I was, um, I had walked, I, I live within a, a 10 minute walk to the, the city square. Um, as the demonstration was winding down and the, the walking around the square in a circle, the crowd walking around was starting to thin out and I could tell that there were only, there was maybe only one or two more rotations of the whole crowd left in us. I decided, well, it's, it, I've done about all I can do here. I'm gonna, I'm gonna head for home. And as I walked by the police station, which was in between the square and home, Lo and behold, there were about 20 or 30 uh, police uh, gearing up, pulling their, their riot gear out of uh, plastic bags and out of the backs of their cars and their trunks. They were putting on their full riot gear. And I, what in the world? This demonstration, demonstration is winding down. It's been plenty calm. There was a huge police presence there uh, that I'm sure helped keep things stable. Um, and so what did I do? I texted my assistant chief of police friend to say, is this like a tr just a training exercise that happened to coincide? <laughs> he said, no, sir. They're just getting ready. I thought, man, um, I'm glad to say that nothing came of that. Uh, there was a bit of yelling after I had left. Apparently there was some yelling between demonstrators and um, um, restaurant goers across the street. Um, but nothing turned violent or, or even physical for that matter. Uh, and, um, but just the potential for Don and I talked a little bit about what the, if those riot um, gear clad police had 20 of them had all shown up over on the square, um, that in itself might've been understood as escalation of the situation, a situation that was, that was already almost done with a demonstration that was almost done with. And, and I, I had a relationship there that I might have called on had I, um, had, had I 
my sort of chaplaincy uh, role might have been um, useful through my friend, the, uh, the policeman. So simple story about and very simple things, but perhaps more um, meaning to them than, um, than at first I realized. Thank you. We, um, we wanted to make sure to allow time for not just conversation between us, um, mm -hmm. but conversation with you. So North, it's all right. Um, we could go ahead and open it up and just see what else you all want to hear about, think about, talk about, um, rather than us just. Sure, we're going to unmute everyone so they can ask questions directly. If you would unmute yourselves, that would be great. So does anyone have any um, questions or responses, thoughts about any of these concrete, practical things that we've talked about? Um, well, this is Mary um, here, and I go to St. Luke's downtown, but I live in Lawrenceville. Mm -hmm. And one thing that I remember so vividly is pretty soon after the racial tensions rose, Catherine Meeks came out with a series of um, Zoom meetings, which covered a, a variety of states. And I was so happy that somebody was taking action instead of just talking about, this is a problem, what can we do? She actually stepped up and um, formed groups and engaged the clergy and the police. And um, so I'm still on her mailing list and follow the different events that she has, depending on the schedule and all the Zooms that are in place, determine what Zooms I can watch. But um, I was just so, it really meant a lot to me that somebody was actually doing something constructive and interviewing other uh, police officers about successful programs they had. I think one was in Tennessee. Mm -hmm. Can't remember it all, but I have it written down. Um, and the other thing um, during that time, a church down the street from me, a Christian church, emailed, I'm going to say, the, the surrounding neighborhoods to hold a meet your Gwinnett County officers. And it was mm -hmm. for two hours and they had breakfast. I missed part of the program, but you just walk in there and, you know, stand right next to a police officer and chat about how did you get into this job and what do you do and what right. is it like? And it was really interesting to talk to one officer. He was um, Black, Afro-American, talking about how it's scarier to work with um his fellow African-Americans, but just to hear his point of view and how he works with the people and how the officers deal with the different races. Because where I live, it's like, I'm about the only white person on my block. So it's, uh, it's really integrated and it was very educational to hear these people talk about working in the community. So I really appreciate the work that you're doing, both you guys and um, Dr. Meeks. Thank you, and thanks for mentioning. Um, yeah, the Center for Racial Healing had a three-part webinar on reimagining policing. Was the first thing I think that's what you're mentioning first, Mary here. Um, and the recordings of those sessions are on the center's YouTube channel. I just put a link there. That actually looks like that's my search query result. But anyway, uh, on YouTube, if you put into your YouTube search bar, Center for Racial Healing 
that channel will pop up where you can see all these recordings. Um, Dr. Meeks also led two sessions with the province for bishops, uh, getting input from them on what their, their vision and their current work within their diocese and um, their hopes and concerns. And of course, Bishop Rob participated in one of those two part things. And um, so we've had other programming. Of course, the center has loads of programming all the time. And uh, let me just mention that the next Reimagining Policing specific event that will be happening is on April 22nd. Uh, so if you're on the center's mailing list, you'll be hearing about that. But it's a, a round table with uh, Edwin Beckham and Dr. Meeks and me and um, Ben Day and Liz Hendrick and um, who am I forgetting? Scott. Scott Kidd. Kidd. Yeah, so, and Paul McCabe. So several of the members of the clergy of the Diocese of Atlanta who are already involved in this work in various ways. Uh, some, one, two, three of whom are, are um, police chaplains for one or more departments and are also leading the congregations they serve or have served into more of those kinds of partnerships that we're talking about. So all of that is, um, all of that is to the good, right? Yeah. Now to say, um, what did that make me think of Donna? Uh, you may look, our, something I, I don't think I even mentioned this this afternoon, Donna, our city police department here in Covington has a, like a citizens education program. Mm -hmm. um, I can't remember the exact name of it, but they basically, enroll you, enroll a limited number of people maybe twice a year in mm -hmm. a six-week course where you you go and sit in on some workshops and maybe you go and ride in a ride along once with a with a patrol officer and this kind of thing. Um, and uh, that's something I have intended to do for a while and and have not, but anybody that's open to to here at least it's open to anyone. And, yeah uh, and several several counties and cities have those um, Citizens Police Academy, yeah. There we go. Academy, so it's, right. um, it's an yeah. opportunity to learn um, more about the kinds of things that officers are contending with. And um, mm -hmm. I, I think it's a great way to not only become better acquainted with their work and their responsibilities, but also to get new insight into um, how officers are trained and what they have personally identified as the gaps in their training and so on. Um, it's been interesting in the, in the wake of our super turbulent summer and going into the fall and all these things remaining on the forefront, um, the front burner of our collective awareness because, because of how the COVID-19 pandemic has exposed the ongoing pandemic of systemic racism in our country. Right. I think... Um, I think it's um, it's been a, an opportunity to see how all of these issues connect and have effects on all kinds of people in all kinds of ways, including upon police officers, right? So um, again, the idea that transformation happens in the crucible of relationship, I think is paramount and the importance, this is what I think is the gospel work. It's easy to 
pick a side of an issue and get over-identified with one side and not be able to hear people who are apparently on the other side. But here's the thing, it's not two sides, it's a, <laughs> it's a big interconnected Gordian knot, right? Of all kinds of issues, and, um, everything from that police training in the wake of our turbulent summer, police academy trainings in a number of places, including in our own state, rather than expanding those <laughs> to help people get better equipped to deal with these kinds of situations. The answer in many places has been to shorten the training. And the training is already too short and the training already focuses on um, techniques and tactics much more than on sort of a, a posture and approach to policing. So the training that's available now really focuses on um, preparing to be a warrior much more than preparing to answer a vocational call to be a guardian of the public safety, which includes every member of the public, right? And so, um, so lots of reforms are needed, definitely. And um, among those reforms is a, a different approach to training, but that's just one example of how um, the responses have been not to, <laughs> not to expand, but rather to contract in a lot of things. Mm. And Mary Hare, thanks again for mentioning that that three-part webinar from the center, I was stunned to learn, as was our colleague, Paul McCabe, who shared this information uh, in one of those three parts, that in 36 states of our country, an officer can be on the streets as an officer without any training for up to one year. Oh, wow. It's startling, right? It's no wonder lots of things go bad, go wrong, get sideways when people are undertrained and underprepared and scared. So um, yeah, there are lots of lots of issues in the mix for sure. Any other questions or comments um, from the group what before we go any further? Donna, you can mention that it's kind of like a Gordian knot, this whole issue. I know that you have a lot of people that support both of you and the other people involved in this initiative, but have you received any negative feedback and how have you countered that? Um, we have, um, it's not so much negative feedback as um, curiosity yes. and, and pushback a little bit. Yeah, yeah. Um, from sibling clergy who've said, well, we, we support Black Lives Matter. And I'm like, yes, good, we should. I I'm down with it, um, me too. And, and their concern is if they, um, well, in the words of one of them, historically, Episcopalians are already seen as being overly identified with the establishment, whatever that is. And so the view of some of these folks is that um, we're perhaps already seen to be uncritically supportive of, of police among other entities. And um, so again, that, that's been a, so the, the plan of slow growth includes <laughs> in conversations with our clergy siblings and, uh, and some congregants around the diocese that we're, this is not 
we're saying no 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 blue lives matter that's that's oh. that's not it it's rather that it's and some people would say all lives matter well if that's true and it is <laughs> if that's true then how are we going to negotiate affirming the humanity of everybody involved and in that that is messy and difficult but that that sounds like that sounds to me like what jesus would do when i when i read the gospels i see him hanging out with edwin you name the list <laughs> what did i say tax collectors sinners prostitutes soldiers soldiers um, other uh, other people who are thought to be lackeys of the Roman Empire and actual Roman leaders at different times, right? Including Jairus and um, yeah. So so Jesus is engaging everybody where they are, and that's that's what we're talking about. But that's been hard to um, it's been hard to get on there sometimes. Yeah, well, it's a you know we we continue to live in a highly charged environment, right? Where it, emotionally speaking at least it's it's um sometimes hard to it, you you want to you want to take a side and, and you, maybe you should take a side and so you take a black lives matter side and um and it's hard to to get to give any ground um to um a different argument same you may yeah. take, you, may, you take a blue lives matter side and how do you how do you, you don't right. want to give any ground to to um other uh, or other arguments and, we... and without getting too super meta about the whole thing, you know, I, I think we're we're afflicted currently, <laughs> all of us, with this. Uh, in the post enlightenment era, we've become in the Western mind so either or, right? But if we think back to where we come from, which is the Mediterranean world, where our tradition begins, that's part of what we comprehensively call Asia, right? And that mindset then and now is still much more of a both and thing that things are complicated and more than one thing can be true at once and often is um and sometimes those things appear to be um at cross purposes with one another or they there's there are competing tensions nevertheless more than one thing can be true at one time um and i do i don't see questions in the chat so raise your hand if you have a question or comment Please. To this point, Nora, of um, of one side or the other, just briefly, I want to tell this story. And if you tune in to the Cinder's offering on April twenty second, you can uh, you can hear this from Scott himself. But Scott Kidd mm. is the rector of Church of the Resurrection in downtown Saute Nakuchi, as he always says. And yes. Church of the Resurrection put up a Black Lives Matter banner. And started to get pushback, not only from some people in the congregation, but from community members around who said, if you have that up, that means you don't support local law enforcement. And Scott said, oh, but we do. And they said, doesn't look like it to us. And so Church of the Resurrection mobilized and said, let's do something to show our support for all law enforcement officers of White County. And they did. And they offered them a box lunch, which they picked up. COVID protocols and all that good stuff. And also um, a goodie bag of, of things to show appreciation and ask if they would send representatives and if they would um, receive a blessing on their, their work for the common good. And they responded very positively. So there's a case in point, like it is possible to do both ends. And in fact, that's, that's what we're called to do. <laughs> um, and not to get not to get paralyzed by, by binaries, right? 
only this or that. So what you're suggesting is we kind of open our minds and don't see two colors, but see more of the rainbow. <clears throat> more of the rainbow, or as Dr. Meeks puts it, we want everybody to go home safe at night. Everybody, everybody. And so if that's true, what do we need to do uh, to help change the current climate? And, and what can we do and what change can we affect starting from where we are? Well, I want to tell everyone that we do have a list of links and resources that Edwin and Donna have provided for us on our website. If you want to look at those, please do. And Donna, I found this for you since you said this. Thank you. <clears throat> so um, does anyone else have any questions, any comments? that you'd like to interject right now. We can certainly keep talking, but we want- Yes, yeah. why don't you continue? You have about five more minutes. You can- Well, on that list is this book, which Nora assures me is now in stock at the Cathedral Bookstore. My grandmother's- Right behind me. <laughs> right behind her. Do you see it up there? Um, I, I recommend this book because um, the author, Resma, Resma Minicum is his name. Uh, you might have heard him in conversation with Krista Tippett and uh, on being uh, on being podcast a few months ago. And his contention is that we cannot think our way out of our current dilemma, especially with regard to police violence. He's saying that this stuff is literally in our DNA, right? We've been we've been conditioned over centuries, and it's a fascinating argument. And he has chapters on the white body, the black body, and the police body. Hmm. And how we have, we are all literally incorporating dimensions of culture. Um, he has uh, some online courses to help bring us to more awareness of that. But he's, he's talking about, well, the subtitle is racialized trauma and the pathway to mending our hearts and bodies. So it's gonna take, it's going to take a lot of work from a lot of different angles, um, but but we can do what we can do. And as as Maya Angelou of Blessed Memory said, when you know better, do better, right? And we we have we have had our attention drawn to things that need to change. And so, rather than getting overwhelmed by the enormity of all the stuff that needs to change, what are specific concrete steps we can take starting where we are? Edwin, not to put you on the spot, do you have any final words? <laughs> well, I was, I was actually gonna, I had a provoca provocational question for Donna, really. Um, and maybe we can both have a stab at it. Maybe, I wonder if we come back, back around to this question of chaplaincy and, uh, and what is it, what is it? And is it, maybe it's not the, the thing that we have long thought it was and maybe the definition of chaplaincy is more expansive, having something to do with, um, with holding space, something to do with presence, and especially with relationship. Um, it may be something to do with this idea of, of a, 
of a parish as a wider place. We, we, most of us are congregants at some Episcopal church or at some other church out there. And um, at some level, we maybe it behooves us to think about um, what it means to be in relationship with the community around us, right? And not, not just in relationship with each other as members of a congregation. Yeah, can I, Barbara, can I call on you? I know you didn't know that I was going to do that. <laughs> Barbara Pendergast has been my colleague in chaplaincy at the world's busiest airport for more than seven years. She's also a chaplain with Coastal Crisis Chaplaincy in the Charleston area. Would you like to respond to those comments, Barbara? Uh, I would. I, I think one thing you've underscored is the importance of relationships with the first responders. Um, in Coastal Crisis, I'm a crisis chaplain, so we, we respond to calls from um, sheriff, police, fire, EMT. We respond mainly to suicide, homicide, traffic fatalities, and natural deaths. But uh, we are there. The mission for Coastal Crisis is a mission of light and hope. If that involves prayer, then we sort of tease that out. And I think what Ed was saying in terms of being in the community, you know, a, a, a parish is typically, in our paradigm, a Christian community. But in the larger community, we have to show up with a, a mission and an offering of presence that includes wherever they are. And that may be no faith, but, but we are a presence of light and hope and can be with them where they are. The gift in that for the law enforcement, um, so a coastal crisis, we're the chaplains for law enforcement, but we will often be asked to be with the mother and or wife who are in the motel room where the son and husband have just overdosed or the mother who can't go to the crime scene um, because it's a crime scene, but can ask the chaplain to go in and pray over her 22 year old son's body because we have that relationship with law enforcement. Um, so it's in building those relationships of trust with those first responders that not only allow us to to alleviate the communication with the survivors so they can do their jobs. They're not having to be right there with them while they're trying to do their work. Um, and, and then over time, and I think with law enforcement, it takes a longer time than with airport employees to build that trust, particularly if the chaplain is not also in law enforcement. Um, but, you know, to be able to debrief with them and to just listen to their story without comment is a gift. And all of that takes time. So I'm grateful for this conversation that y'all are bringing up and for Dr. Meek's um, presence in our community um, to bring this to light. And I just think every conversation helps. And, and I think small beginnings can make large concentric circles in a community based on trust. Like when Edwin was saying, he, you know, you could call that um, police chief from the scene. Right. Um, you know, when we were at a peaceful protest in Charleston um, around the, shortly after George Floyd and the Black Lives Matter and the police were there, you couldn't tell who was Black Lives Matter. You could tell who were police, but there were white and blacks in Black Lives Matter. And just the presence of chaplains we were taking water to both sides. For you, for those of you who are familiar with Charleston, you get 
something called the Battery, where it's the land between the the Charleston Harbor and well, the land, and um, it's this sort of. Uh, I'm tired. My words are plaza. Is it a plaza? A plaza yeah. Just like an elevated seawall is what it is. Yeah, and yeah. so the Black Lives Matter people were on the seawall and then some other Confederate type people were under this Confederate, Confederate monument and the chaplains were going back and forth offering water and conversation to both. And so, and then the police were able to see all of this going on too. So we were just kind of a little bit of um, calming presence and and then the mayor called our executive director who happened to be on the scene and just said, you know, how's it going? And there was, there was some built-in equanimity. I mean, uh, some built-in credit, street cred. Credibility, yeah, and street cred. I'm street sorry, cred. I'm not very- I'm not No, very it's good. Um, tonight. But, Diane, you want to take this question before we? Yeah, so thank you, Stanley. Stanley's asked a question in the chat um, about bad actors. And I appreciate that question. How might we more effectively engage the bad actors? And he's put that in quotations. Appreciate that too. Um, I, I, think, I think part of what we are called to do if, if we are serious about being Jesus followers is to call out bad behavior while affirming ongoing humanity. We all know that everybody is more than the worst thing they've ever done. We know that that's true. And our, our tradition has the gift of constantly, um, constantly calling us to amendment of life. And that, that's what we wanna do is call people to amend bad behavior and whatever it takes to do that. So I think, um, I think part of how we effectively engage the bad actors is to stop calling them bad actors and to start calling them by their names and ask, can we, can we talk about what happened and why it happened? What's going on with you, right? Rather than just reducing them to, to uh, a, a particular, I, I don't think bad actor affirms humanity and that's what I want to do is affirm. The dignity of every human being best best I can. Does that get at what you're looking for, Stanley? Well, a, a large part of what goes, what it seems to me of what goes on is folks on all sides talk about, you know, we're actually together mm -hmm. and in a good dialogue, but for the so-called bad actors. Uh, and, you know, and whether the bad actors are, are police in one context or looters are in another context, wh whatever it, it might be. Uh, uh, there, there's, you know, but we get everybody tarnished in, in a way and everybody suffers. Mm -hmm. uh, and, you know, we, we, we can deal with that on an overall basis. But dealing with, with, with the core that's coming out of, of uh, fear and coming out of prejudice, again, on all sides, uh, uh, really engaging that and, and, and beginning to, to temper that in some fashion, it seems to me that that's, that's where a real challenge is. And it seems to me we also make those so-called bad actors into scapegoats, mm -hmm. right? 
whichever whichever right. side or sides we think that they are on so we can right. absolve ourselves when we all have responsibility and we are all implicated in the injustices of the current system. Mm -hmm. We're we all participating in it. We're all helping to hold it up whether we want to or not. So if we're going to dismantle it, we're going to have to do that mm -hmm. individually and collectively and piece by piece. And it's going to take the rest of our lives, but it's worth it because <laughs> right. we're called to build the dominion of God and to build the dominion of God means to dismantle everything that is not of the love of God. And we got a lot of that to take apart y'all. Well, I have also out of time. <laughs> yeah. I promised we would end this <laughs> on time. Uh, Donna, Edwin, thank you so much and for your um, helper there, Edwin. Absolutely. Yeah, it's Nigel. <laughs> Nigel. <laughs> but thank you so much for addressing this this evening. Thank you um, all. And if you want to keep this going, come join us on April 22nd. Yes, um, you can find out information soon on the Center for Racial Healing's website. And reach out, reach out to your own, uh, your own leadership in your congregation lay and ordain to your local uh your local law enforcement just reach out just reach out shall Thank we pray you. um first i have a few announcements okay sadly our conversations next week has had to be rescheduled so mm -hmm. we have rescheduled it for march 25th so our next conversations with the priest will happen on march 11th where we will have the Reverend John Foster Herring of St. Peter's in Rome mm. and the Reverend Nikki Mathis of St. Gregory the Great in Athens, kind of a mm. uh, Georgia tour of Europe almost. <laughs> <laughs> That's right, Athens and Rome. <laughs> we have Athens and Rome. Um, but I do have something exciting to announce. Beginning Tuesday, March 9th, we're starting an exciting new four-segment virtual mental health series called March for Our Mental Health. It will be on Tuesdays at 6 p.m. And each week we'll feature a new speaker. Our first speaker is a Conversations with Our Priest alum, the Reverend uh, Dr. Bobby Patterson. Uh, we'll be sending out email reminders about this new series. So if you have not signed up for our email to receive an email from the Cathedral Bookstore, just go to our website and there is a portion of our website down at the bottom where you can sign up for our newsletter. So we hope to see you on March 9th and March 11th. And Donna, if you would please send us forth, uh, greatly appreciate it. Thank you so much for your time. And thank you for thank attending everyone. Thanks everyone. Let us pray. Oh Lord, support us all the day long until the shadows lengthen. And the evening comes, and the fever of life is over, and our work is done. Then, in thy mercy, give us a safe lodging and a holy rest and peace at the last. Amen. 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 Thank you, everyone. Good night, and have a blessed Thank you. week. Great to be with you, everyone. Good night. Thank you very much.